Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. This episode is brought to you by Peak, where plans and science intersect. Intermittent fasting can have powerful health benefits. You all know I talk about it at length, but it can also be challenging and it's important to avoid the potential pitfalls of intermittent fasting because some people can struggle with hunger, sugar cravings, fatigue, and low energy, irritability, and restlessness or trouble sleeping. So let's avoid all of those. And one of my secret weapon to do so is tea. And specifically, Peak's fasting teas are my secret weapon. They are specifically designed to shut down appetite and support energy and mood, whether you're fasting or not. In the morning, I'll have the bergamot black fasting tea. It's gentler on an empty stomach and kickstarts energy without jitters, it has antioxidants, which feed the good gut bacteria, and bergamot, which supports our mood. In the afternoon, I'll have the ginger green and or the matcha green fasting tea, both great. And in the evening, I'll have the caffeine-free cinnamon herbal fasting tea, which fights sugar cravings and supports healthy blood sugar levels. So here's what you have to do. Go to peaktea.com slash willcole and use code willcole at checkout to get 5% off site-wide plus free shipping when you purchase a fasting tea bundle, including my specially curated bundle with Peak. They actually came out with an intuitive fasting bundle. I love it so much. That's peaktea.com spelled P-I-Q-U-E-T-E-A.com slash willcole Use promo code WILLCOLE for 5% off site-wide plus free shipping when you purchase a fasting tea bundle. There's a reason Peak has over 15,000 five-star reviews. Try it for yourself risk-free with a 30-day satisfaction guarantee. You either love it or you get your money back. Hi, it's Dr. Will Cole. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers. This is the art of being well. What's up everyone, it's Dr. Will Cole and welcome to the art of being well. I am a leading functional medicine expert. I get to consult people around the world via webcam. I started one of the first functional medicine telehealth centers in the world over a decade ago, and I'm a New York Times bestselling author. 
I wrote Intuitive Fasting, which is my newest book, and The Inflammation Spectrum, which is now in paperback, so you have to check that out, and Ketotarian. If you want to learn more about my clinical work, the telehealth center, the books, and there's lots of free resources there for you as well, you can check it all out at drwillcole.com. That's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. All right, let's get to today's guest. He is one of the only repeat guests. This is the second time he's on a completely brand new discussion. We dig deep, as we always do with Dr. Perlmutter. Dr. David Perlmutter is one of, and I know a lot of smart people, but he is one of the smartest people I know in my life. And he's such a great human being. He's so kind, and he's always been such a supporter of me. Anyways, Dr. David Perlmutter, MD. He's a board-certified neurologist and fellow of the American College of Nutrition. He is a frequent lecturer at symposia sponsored by institutions including the World Bank, Columbia University, New York University, Yale, and Harvard, and serves as an associate professor at the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine. He is the recipient of numerous awards, including the Linus Pauling Award for his innovative approaches to neurological disorders, the National Nutritional Foods Association Clinician of the Year Award, and the Humanitarian of the Year Award from the American College of Nutrition. He has an amazing podcast. He has an amazing blog at drpromoter.com. And he is the New York Times bestselling author of so many books like Grain Brain, Brain Maker, Brainwash, The Grain Brain Whole Life Plan, and his brand new book, Drop Acid, which we're going to talk about today. Let's get right to it and be sure to stay tuned through the entire conversation because at the end, I answer another one of your burning health questions and ask me anything. This is Dr. David Perlmutter's Art of Being Well. My friend, thanks so much for being back on the podcast, Dr. Perlmutter. Uh, Dr. Will Cole, it's great to see <laughs> you again. Uh, I miss you and you know, in person as it were, but uh, happy to be here. Thanks. I miss you too. I know all the... All the things are different now, but hopefully soon in person. I, I, I'm in- absolutely sure of it. You bet. Yes. Yeah. So let's jump right into this. We have a lot of really exciting things to talk about. And I want to preface this conversation with the metabolic problem that we're facing as a world today and what that means to the average person. Because we talk about metabolic syndrome, we see it on labs a lot. But for the average person that's listening there, or the person that is a health aficionado or biohacker, but they're really disconnected from that term of metabolic problems, what are you seeing and what are we facing as a society? Well, let me answer the last question first. And the simple answer is a crisis. And uh, as to what are we seeing, what we are seeing are ever-increasing rates of the metabolic, metabolically defined issues. Uh, the diabetes, pre-diabetes, hypertension, uh, increased body mass index, overweight obesity, hypertriglyceridemia, dyslipidemia, all of those, those are the five big uh, players as it relates to so-called metabolic syndrome. And in and of themselves, they are problematic, but even more problematic globally is that they set the stage for the very chronic degenerative conditions that we don't want to get and that are even to this day the number one cause of death on our planet. Not an infectious disease, not a virus. The number one cause of death remains 
the chronic degenerative conditions, the heart disease, the diabetes, the Alzheimer's, all related to disturbances of what we just talked about. The increase in blood sugar from the insulin resistance, the high blood pressure. Big study came out this morning relating uh, elevated blood pressure to risk of uh, Alzheimer's. Coronary artery disease, forms of cancer, colon, breast, and pancreatic cancer. So it's very, very important. We have noted that the longevity curves started to decline uh, for American adults long, you know, even before COVID. I mean, COVID took another two years off of it. But even before that happened, uh, we began seeing that the, you know, our, our ability to live a long and healthy life is, is we've reached our plateau and now it's declining despite all the incredible advances in technology and diagnostics and even certainly in therapeutics as well, we're losing the race with all due respect by our own doing, by our lifestyle mm-hmm. choices. Genetically, we haven't changed, but we've changed the relationship between ourselves and our genome. We've changed basic, basically the environment. So this is what we call an evolutionary, meaning genes, environmental, meaning our lifestyle choices mismatch. And that's what, you know, that's what's happening right now. I mean, in America, we have a third of adults now classified as being obese, not just overweight, but clinically obese. And that mm-hmm. number in the distant future, in other words, in the year 2030, uh, is going to be 50%. That's, that's eight years from now. So mm-hmm. these aren't sudden changes in our genome, you know, our genetic expression that's, that's maladaptive. It's mm-hmm. clearly something that we are doing to ourselves. And what the new book about is about, and that is the role, the central role that drop acid or uric acid is playing in understanding our metabolic mayhem and importantly, a new tool by lowering, dropping acid, lowering our uric acid, mm-hmm. how we can rein in uh, what's going on around us. There is an interesting paper written way back in 2009, Japanese and uh, Turkish researchers put out a paper uh, that called, talked about uric acid in metabolic syndrome from innocent bystander to central player. And it mm-hmm. described that, yes, we've known that people with diabetes and overweight and uh, hypertension have elevated uric acid, but now we know it just doesn't happen to be there on, you know, for the ride, uh, but it's actually playing a mechanistic role in causing these problems. And that's great for two reasons. Uh, number one, we've identified, we can identify uh, and understand the mechanism. And two, wow, now we have something we can target to further help us in keeping people metabolically healthy. Yeah. Well said. So let's go there. Drop acid. Amazing title, by the way. Let's go drop acid. Okay. Let's drop acid for the next hour or so. Uric acid, you mentioned so eloquently in this new book that it's so overlooked. It's a conventional lab. A lot of people have these ran and there's not even a discussion about it. Or for some people, it's not ran. It's not given the attention that it deserves. What you mentioned it being this sort of causative rule, this underlying driver of problems. Many people don't know they have high uric acid. What exactly is uric acid? You talk about the three sources of uric acid in the book. So what's driving it? The first part of your uh, statement and question, uh, it's true. We we didn't really uh, get our arms around uric acid until quite recently. 
in you know years gone by, of course we knew what uric acid was. It's something that's elevated in gout. And we really only looked upon uric acid through the lens of gout and perhaps kidney stones. And that's really all it, it, it was important to, mm-hmm. uh, for. It's the reason we would include a uric acid in annual blood work. It was really elevated. We'd say, hey, you might get gout. Be careful. Uh, but this is not your grandfather's uric acid anymore. Now that we know that uric acid is far more influential in the body, uh, it's a powerful tool. And what the uric acid elevation is doing is it's serving as a signal uh, molecule, a messenger, and it's basically telling your body to get ready for winter or for food scarcity, a powerful survival mechanism. So when we look at the fact that insulin resistance and blood pressure going up and increasing your body fat, you know, we think we tend to look upon those as bad things. Oh, who wants to have insulin resistance or higher blood pressure? But that's only in the context of our modern world. You know, until just recently, a blink of an eye, uh, our hunter-gatherer forebears and certainly our primate ancestors were very much aided by the fact that they had these signals happening in their bodies that would allow them to make more body fat mm. so they could survive during times of food scarcity. And this dates back uh, 14 to 17 million years ago during what is called the Middle Miocene period when the earth became a little bit cooler. And over a million years, our primate ancestors were threatened by less food availability. So any little modification of their physiology that would allow them to make and store more body fat would play out over a long period of time as a survival mechanism. And so it is that the increase in uric acid that happened because of a series of gene mutations allowed them just a little bit of an edge over those who did not have that series of mutation. Therefore, they had higher uric acid levels a signal that we've got to make more fat, we've got to keep that blood pressure up, we've got to turn on uh, what's called gluconeogenesis so we can make more glucose to power the brain for two reasons, uh, at least. Number one, to avoid starvation, and number two, to avoid predation. Mm-hmm. So we didn't get eaten by, by an- other animals in the day. The problem is that that served us well until uh, we began the, the agricultural revolution and began to have an abundance, not just of food, but of food that was more carbohydrate-based. And you just have to go to the grocery store now and see when you walk around a grocery store how we are targeting our ancient physiology by looking at how much there is in the way of not only carbohydrates themselves, but processed foods, processed carbohydrates that really allows free sugars to be more available to our physiology, amping up uric acid production, at least the fructose does that, and telling our bodies, you better make a lot of fat right now or you won't survive. Well, we don't need that. And now that we've identified uh, this mechanism, this pathway, it really serves to inform people who are struggling with losing that amount of weight that they want to lose, accomplishing their goals, getting their blood pressure down, reining in their mild elevation or significant elevation of blood sugar, glucose. It it becomes yet another tool in our toolbox, an important metric. Know your fasting blood sugar, know your blood pressure, know your BMI, and know your uric acid because these all play into your metabolism. So you know, the final question you ask is, well, where does it come from? Yeah. And what makes it really easy for the quiz, 
uh, is it only comes from three things. Uh, A, fructose. B, uh, purines. We'll talk about that. C, alcohol. Or D, all of the above. Real simple. Yeah. Uh, we know it comes from the breakdown of alcohol. Alcohol, uh, and it really depends certainly on what kind of alcohol you consume in terms of the uric acid effect. Okay. Purines are the breakdown products of the DNA and RNA that are found in the cells of the various foods we eat. Uh, but the big player is the fructose. You know, this okay. fructose is added to our foods to 60 to 70% of the foods in the grocery store now because it makes them sweeter and it's cheap to produce. And we like foods that are sweet. People tend to buy whatever it is, whether it's barbecue sauce or salad dressing. If it's got some sugar in it, whether you read it on the label or not, your, your brain is going to like that because we are all really destined to have a sweet tooth. It's a powerful survival mechanism. It tells us, eat this food because it's safe. Because generally foods that are poisonous would never be sweet. It tells us, eat this food because it has the highest level of nutrients. And it tells us to eat this food because when we do, through the fructose, we activate uric acid production that tells our body that you need to make fat because winter is coming. Mm. Well, that's something we're doing now 365 days a year. And when I quote you a statistic saying that by 2030, 50%, it's, it's breathtaking, yeah. 50% of American adults will be obese, not just overweight, but obese. And it's striking, but it isn't surprising. You know, walk through an airport or, you know, go out to dinner and, and look around it's pretty, uh, it's pretty aggressive what's yeah. happening. And it, it's sad because it's happening to people. You know, I don't want to say through no fault of their own, but people are being manipulated. The food's being manipulated. You know, major food manufacturers are insinuating both uh, sugar and salt into our foods and look at the outcome. Imagine the best sex you've ever had. Now imagine that it could be even better with products that were designed to naturally enhance sexual pleasure. A company that I love in this space is Foria. Foria is using all natural and plant-based ingredients to intensify sexual pleasure and relieve discomfort. I see this so much with patients is discomfort, pain, and it's a topic that we need to talk more about because you have to know what you're dealing with to do something about it. And we also have to have natural options that are safe, healthy, and effective. And that's why I love Foria. Foria has a serious cult following with tens of thousands of people who have had their sex lives transformed through using their products. And look, a healthy sex life is part of overall wellness. This is really important. Foria makes products that will transform your sexual pleasure and your sexual health. A product that my patients love is their arousal oil. You have to check this out. And also Awaken. Awaken uses CBD and warming sensation inducing organic botanicals that enhance arousal, sensitivity, pleasure, and helps with any discomfort. So yes, you have my permission to try this. I fully endorse you to go ahead and treat yourself to more deeper, fuller pleasure wherever you can find it, often as possible, and you can start with a bottle of Foria. Foria is offering a special deal for our listeners. Get 20% off your first order by visiting foriawellness.com slash Will Cole or use code Will Cole at checkout. That's 
F-O-R-I-A wellness.com, foriawellness.com forward slash Will Cole for 20% off your first order. I recommend trying their Awaken Arousal Oil and Sex Oil. You'll thank me later. Our next partner has a product I use all the time and I recommend it to my patients as well. It's Athletic Greens. I love it because it's convenient. It's nutrient dense. So what is it? With just one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy levels, recovery, focus throughout the day, and aging, all the things. It's lifestyle-friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free. It contains less than one gram of sugar with no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, artificial anything, while tasting really great. It's the one thing with all the best things. Athletic Greens uses the best of the best products based on the latest science with constant product iterations and third-party testing. Athletic Greens was created when the founder experienced a ton of gut health issues and ended up on a complicated routine to recover. So he gave us one thing with all the best things. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash Cole. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash Cole to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Let me segue to salt for just a moment because sure. it's really an interesting story. We now have identified, I talk about it in the book, the fact that our bodies can make our own fructose. Think about it. You can do what uh, your very best, avoid fructose, read labels, don't drink fruit juice or sodas, uh, but your body can be tricked into making fructose if it thinks it's going, it is dehydrated. Mm. Now, why might that be? Why would you want to make fructose if you're dehydrated? Well, if you face dehydration, you have to have, you know, one of the survival mechanisms is obviously finding water. Mm-hmm. Well, you might not find water, but guess what? You can make water. And what your body makes water from is the metabolism of fat. Mm-hmm. And the greatest example, I think, is, you know, a, a camel can go, what is it, three weeks and walk across the desert and not drink any water. But fortunately, it has a hump. Mm-hmm. If you look inside that hump, what are you going to find? It isn't water, it's fat. Mm-hmm. It burns the fat. Yes, it has energy, sure. But as it burns that fat, it creates what's called metabolic water. Like whales have a lot of fat to make water. They don't stop along the way and, <laughs> and drink from underwater springs. Uh, even the hummingbird that makes these epic trips, at times it, prior to that thousand mile journey, it has 40% of its body weight is fat. Wow. If you want to bring hummingbirds to your house, you put out sugar water, right? right? That's what they love, of course, because it makes fat and off they go. So any mechanism that would go into play to help us prevent from being dehydrated or as we face dehydration, that turns on the production of fat would help us by making uh, metabolic water. 
Mm-hmm. So what is that mechanism that triggers us, our physiology to think that we are becoming dehydrated? It's an elevation of our sodium level. Mm-hmm. So as our sodium level climbs, as we don't drink water, it triggers the formation of fructose with uric acid and all the negative things that uric acid does. But here's another way that we can trick that mechanism into happening and increase fat production, increase our blood pressure, increase our insulin resistance. We do it by eating excessive amounts of salt. So when you're watching the playoffs and you park yourself in front of the TV and are eating a a bag of salted pretzels, your body says, oh, I'm looking at the, you know, the refined carbohydrates. Yeah, but my, uh, I'm taking in a lot of sodium. My serum sodium goes up a little bit. My body thinks I'm dehydrated and it puts into play mechanisms to, to keep water, keep me from losing free water, of course, through aldosterone, but also it activates this pathway to make me fat as uh, to keep me alive. So we've known for decades that people who eat excessive amounts of salt, uh, that that excess salt consumption is associated with obesity. It's associated with dramatic increased risk of type 2 diabetes. And we've known the, the hypertension connection for an awful long time. But now we dropped in that really important piece of the puzzle. We understand the mechanism and I love that. I mean, I, yeah. I'm just thrilled to know that because when you finally you get there, you go, oh, it makes now, sense. I, now it all makes sense. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the really empowering part is now we have tools. We can tell people, look, limit your salt consumption, but at the same time, figure out what in the heck is your uric acid level and we need to determine how aggressive we need to be in terms of lowering it. Right. So let's talk about, and we'll get to what, what to do about it, of course, but the the three drivers of uric acid, you mentioned fructose is probably the number one driver of it. Do you recommend, and obviously they can read the book for all your detailed instructions and recommendations, but for our conversation today, do you recommend we cut all fructose down or is it just refined high fructose corn syrup or is it even the natural whole food sources of fructose? What should we be doing there? That might be the home run question, I think, uh, for all of your viewers today. And that is relating to fructose. So eat fruit. To be sure, fruit contains some fructose, fruit sugar. That's where the name comes from, for crying out loud. <laughs> uh, but you know, an apple a day keeps the doctor away but five apples a day and the doctor you will pay. Meaning that have some fruit, have fruit that doesn't have a lot of fructose. You know, an, a- an apple might have five to 10 grams of fructose and we can, we can pretty well get away with that. Berries, low in fructose. Kiwi, low in fructose. Mango, I live in Florida. Mangoes will are loaded with fructose. So it's about understanding, uh, and we talk about it in the book, what uh, is the fructose content of the food? But, you know, the fruit, uh, fructose that you get in eating a you know, reasonable amount of fruit is offset by a couple of things. First of all, it's not just the amount of fructose, it's the time course that you engage in in terms of its consumption. You suck down a Coke or a, a big you know, 12-ounce glass, 16-ounce glass of fruit juice, apple juice, orange juice, and you're bombarding your body with an awful lot of fructose. It's 36 grams of sugar. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a very short period of time, and you rapidly exceed what your liver is able to deal with. And so then you're raising your your fructose level, and now you're activating all these downstream effects, the increased production of glucose, the fatty, uh, the production of fat within the liver, leading to non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, 
raising your blood pressure, raising your production of body fat, uh, insulin resistance, all of those things, inhibiting nitric oxide through uric acid. So eating fruit that has fiber will slow your absorption of fructose, number one. Eating fruit, it contains vitamin C. Vitamin C aids in the excretion of uric acid. Mm -hmm. And finally, bioflavonoids that are found in fruit can help our bodies reduce the manufacturing of uric acid by actually targeting the most important, well, one of the most important enzymes called, it'll be on the quiz, xanthine <laughs> oxidase. Uh, the reason I mention that is because that's where the gout medicines target. That's what how they work. Allopurinol, which is the drug for treating gout to lower uric acid, targets the very same enzyme that is targeted by quercetin and luteolin. So it's the reason that fruit consumption is actually associated with a reduced uric acid. Got it. Now, as it relates to alcohol, hard liquor will raise uric acid. Uh, wine is not a bad choice because wine in men is about neutral. Wine in women is actually associated with a little bit lower uric acid. But beer is the worst player of all. Why? It contains alcohol, mm -hmm. but it also contains the third horseman, which are purines, the breakdown product of DNA and RNA. We'll get there in a moment. Yeah. But Beer contains a lot of purines because it's made with yeast and yeast is very cellular, has a lot of nucleic acids in it that are broken down to form these purines that go on to create uric acid. So when you understand that, how beer dramatically raises uric acid, you'll understand now why there's such a thing as the beer belly. Because it's not that you make uric acid, maybe you get gout. No, you're making uric acid that's telling your body winter is coming make fat. Mm. So interestingly, Japan, uh, for example, is very much dialed into the role of uric acid in metabolism. And they now market uh, in Japan purine-free beer because wow. it will not uh, you know, activate that pathway to raise your uric acid. And as it relates to these third uh, of our horsemen, the purines, foods that have a lot of cells in them, uh, will tend to raise uric acid because those cells get broken down when we eat the foods and it will raise uric acid. Foods like liver uh, and kidney organ meats, uh, game meats like venison, uh, certain shellfish like uh, scallops and mussels, uh, anchovies, sardines. Not that you can't ever have them on anchovies on your salad or sardines, uh, or you know, there's an upside to liver for sure, B12, uh, iron. But you want to know your uric acid. Uh, am I going to get away with it? Is my uric acid good? Am I all right to eat a big piece of liver? Which <laughs> I have trouble with because I never liked it. No other reason. I just never liked yeah. eating it for whatever. We'll, we'll leave it at that. Yeah. But that said, you know, if your uric acid is not exactly where you want it to be, and the magic number for our discussion today, Will, is 5.5. We'll get back to that in just a moment. Okay. So you haven't reached that level yet. Uh, and you've done your very best on fructose, you've even done the alcohol, you might want to start looking at purines and maybe add in 500 milligrams of quercetin, 500 milligrams of vitamin C, maybe 100 milligrams of luteolin as well. You know, look at the entire program that is designed first to limit the inroads, the alcohol, the purines, and looking at, you know, certainly fructose, as I said, the major player, Mm -hmm. But also then looking at how uric acid is metabolized and what we can do to target that metabolism with things that help reduce its production and help with its elimination. 
Got it. And it's not that uh, challenging. People can get their uric acid under control. And it's a common blood test. Anybody yeah. can order it, go to the doctor's office, have it ordered. You can go online and buy a uric acid monitor and that's what it looks like. And uh, here you go. That My most recent is 4.7. I know that. I know what my uric acid level is because I did a finger stick, much as you might check your blood sugar if you're not wearing a continuous glucose monitor. Mm-hmm. And great to know. Now, yeah. uh, if it goes up, I'll say, what did I do lately? Oh, maybe I had uh, a little too much this, that, or the other and mm-hmm. make a modification. But we've got to keep our uric acid levels in check. One uh, 2009 study, Japanese study, looked at 90,000 people, 42,000 men, 48,000 women, followed them for eight years. At the beginning of the study, they measured their uric acid level. After eight years, they looked at how people did. And what they found was in comparing the highest level of uric acid to the lowest, that those who had the highest level had a 16% increased risk of what is called all cause mortality, meaning they died. They were dead for whatever the reason. Mm -hmm. They had a 39% increased risk of cardiovascular mortality, which would make sense based upon what we now know about uric acid. We'll talk about the mechanisms in a moment. They had a 35% increased risk of death from stroke. And for every point of elevation of the uric acid above uh, seven, there was an additional uh, eight to 13% increased risk of dying, all cause mortality. So when we see that, you know, things that you've talked about for years, uh, inflammation and oxidative stress Mm -hmm. are amplified by uric acid, then we can understand the profound increased risk of cardiovascular disease and death in people with high uric acid. When we relate uric acid to mitochondrial problems, increased inflammation, increased oxidative stress, it explains why people with high uric acid have as much as 166% increased risk of what is called mixed dementia and vascular dementia, a 55% increased risk of actual Alzheimer's disease, Mm -hmm. and an 80% risk of dementia of all types. Because we know that those mechanisms, inflammation, free radical mediated stress, uh, insulin resistance, I didn't even mention that, oxidative stress, mitochondrial dysfunction, The brain is not happy with any one of those, and uric acid causes all of those. And, you know, as it relates to Alzheimer's, we don't have a pharmaceutical intervention that can help these people. That's a, that's a, a real challenge. I wish there were such a thing. But for now, let's ask ourselves, well, what are the inroads? What do we know is can lead to increasing risk? And by all means, Let's do our very best to get out that messaging because, again, we don't have a treatment. We may as well prevent it. Yeah. Do you feel like if we, the average person that's listening to this right now, if they decrease their amount of fructose and alcohol consumption, do you feel like that's enough for most people? Or should the average person be looking at their purine uh, content? Or And then second part of the question are, do you feel like some people are more purine sensitive in a way where they're, they should be looking out for it? It's not necessarily everybody. Well, first part of the question, uh, if you just limited alcohol and fructose, would it be enough? I don't know. I mean, okay. uh, you know, we live in an, an age of personalized medicine. Well, we recognize that 
Dr. Will Cole's physiology is different from Dr. David Perlmutter's. And I don't know what's going to work for you. I don't know at what level you're starting. Yeah. Uh, where is your uric acid? That's the question people need to ask themselves. Maybe that people check their uric acid level and it's really good, less than 5.5. And then they say, hey, whatever I'm doing right now seems to be working. Uh, I'll continue the level of alcohol, fruit, and purine consumption. Seems to be fine. Just to be safe, I'll check it again in a month or two just to make sure I'm good. Whereas other people, you know, they, they may come in and see their uric acid level is 7.2 and they need, to, they need to jump on this quickly and aggressively. Got it. And my vote would be to go all in. Right. And then if it gets to be a really good number, then phase certain things back in and see how you respond. Much as a person might do with food sensitivity, for example. Yeah. Take away, you know, the whole list of the typical culprits and then phase back in something that the, tomatoes, um, nightshade vegetables, whatever they may, you know, try and see if they're having a problem. So I think it really depends on where you start the evaluation yeah. and, and take it from there. And again, uh, you can buy a home monitor or you can go to the doctor's office or you could pick up the phone and call your doctor because likely if you get annual blood work, which a lot of people do, you've already had your uric acid checked. Right. And keep in mind though, uh, that your doctor may simply say, oh, nothing to worry about. Your level is in the normal range. Well, that, that raises the hair on the back of my yeah, neck because we know about I that. don't want any of the people that I work with to be in the normal range. A, I want them to be in the optimal range. What's the best? Not just you happen to be within a couple of standard deviations of what is average, not good enough. A and B, Understand that the normal range deals with gout. That's where that seven milligrams per deciliter comes from. It's from the gout literature because we know that above seven, there's more of a tendency for uric acid to precipitate in the blood and form crystals that are characteristic of gout. We want that level to be 5.5 milligrams per deciliter or lower than that. Got it. And the, you mentioned the at-home test. What What's the best way for us to get that home test if people want to test it for themselves? Amazon. Okay. Uh, or there's the one I use is called UASURE, U-A-S-U-R-E. Uh, that's available on Amazon or they have their own website. And I don't know, I don't know the URL, but I'm sure you know, people we'll put the links. We'll put the links in the show notes. Yeah. There you go. Wonderful. Yeah. Then you you get a kit, you do a finger stick, you put it, slide it in the bottom of the uh, monitor right there. And then the first thing you do is push the button and then you put the drop of blood on and the stick in. Next thing you know, you know where you are. Awesome. And, uh, you know, I'm all for understanding where you are Yeah. Uh, in terms of your biometrics. I want to know your blood sugar and your sleep uh, cycles and how much sleep you're getting and, you know, your max, uh, your, your various parameters of exercise all these things. If, if I'm to help the next person, I need to have that data. Yeah, It's not good enough to get blood work done and look at a fasting blood sugar once a year and hope that that snapshot in time is going to tell me something because it really isn't going to tell me a whole heck of a lot. Well said. People will often ask me, whether they're patients or people in social media, what's a refreshing, healthy beverage that they can enjoy at the end of the day, on the weekends, but they don't want something unhealthy. They don't want to deal with hangovers or bloating. So if you're in the same boat, then you need to try hop water. It's so freaking good. Hop water is a non-alcoholic sparkling hop water crafted with functional ingredients for added mood boosting benefits. You have to check this out. 
Hop water has so many amazing flavors. They have classic, they have blood orange. I love that one. Mango, they're honestly all good. Mango, and the newest is lime. My favorite probably out of those would be the blood orange. I put together the most delicious mocktails with the different flavors of hop water. Hop water, that's H-O-P-W-T-R, hop water. It's made from an exclusive blend of hops that gives it a crisp, citrusy, piney taste. Plus, it has no alcohol, calories, carbs, or sugar, so it won't mess up your gut health. It won't mess up your energy, your brain health. You're going to feel freaking amazing drinking hop water. Trust me, you're going to love hop water too. My patients love it. It's the healthy way to hops. Right now, my listeners can get this special offer, 20% off your first purchase. Plus, get free shipping when you order 24 cans or more. To get this offer, go to hopwater.com. That's H-O-P-W-T-R.com. Use my promo code WILLCOLE to get 20% off plus free shipping. Don't wait. This offer won't last long. Again, that's hopwater.com. Use code WILLCOLE. Part of my process with my patients is going through their health history, their medical history, looking at any labs they had done recently to get to the bottom of what their body actually needs. And there's so many people that aren't my patients at the Functional Medicine Telehealth Center. They maybe follow me on social media or they listen to The Art of Being Well who are not my patients right now, but they ask me oftentimes, like, how can I take similar measures to improve my own health? What labs do you recommend that I maybe don't need a functional medicine doctor so I can learn about my body? Right now, one of my favorite at-home labs that I've been loving and I recommend is Keen Health's Keen Gut Plus. It's the perfect tool to give you the inside scoop on your current gut health status. By giving just a simple stool sample, you can get really interesting and helpful insights like your gut microbial diversity, basically the balance of bacteria in your gut, probiotics, the beneficial bacteria, and vitamins profile, along with personalized recommendations and actionable takeaways based on your unique gut health test results. Right now, Keen Health is offering 20% off with code WILLCOLE. Visit KeenHealth.com. That's K-E-A-N-H-E-A-L-T-H.com. KeenHealth.com. Use code WILLCOLE, all one word, to get 20% off this amazing gut health test. You mentioned quercetin, you mentioned vitamin C. What are some other things we should uh, be taking and what what dosages? And obviously all of this is in the book, but what are some things people people can start to consider bringing in their life? Well, you know, as it relates to supplements this time around in drop acid, I, I only went with five. Okay. Because people, you know, are taking their other supplements, that whether it's NAD or a precursor or sulforaphane, whatever it may be. Uh, for various reasons, but I wanted just to make sure that these are on or added to the list. And without a doubt, the top of the list is quercetin, and that would be 500 milligrams a day because quercetin does target that enzyme xanthine oxidase and is almost on par with the drug allopurinol in terms of lowering uric acid. One study uh, from England looked at 22 young men with mild elevation of the uric acid and 
just two weeks of quercetin, 500 milligrams a day, uh, lowered their uric acid by 8%. Wow. That's huge. Yeah. So quercetin on the top of the list, luteolin as another bioflavonoid, the dosage 100 milligrams a day. DHA, DHA offsets some of the damaging effects of high fructose in the diet, specifically as it relates to the liver. Uh, next, we want to look at chlorella. Uh, the reason we want to have chlorella on board is because, again, one of the downstream problems here is non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Mm. And I hope we can have a chance to unpack that a little bit, Yeah, uh, especially from the fructose consumption. Uh, this is a huge issue. I mean, the uh, rates of NAFDL uh, in the years from 1970 to 1990 uh, went up uh, significantly uh, to uh, 42% from 24% in American adults. It's a big problem. You know, it can cause cirrhosis. It can. It is associated even with liver cancer. So we've got to look at that as a marker of a disturbed metabolism, but also in and of itself, it's uh, a real problem. Mm-hmm. And finally, good old vitamin C, 500 milligrams a day or more. But I think 500 milligrams a day is the right dosage uh, that helps us with our excretion of uric acid and can help drive it down. Now, I know full well that many people who are following you are probably taking uh, a variety of other supplements and likely with good reason. But this is a generic recommendation. And you made a point earlier that uh, people are different. You know, people have different levels of uric acid uh, creation, uric acid metabolism. Uh, but I think, again, we need to measure, we need to know where mm-hmm. we are and where we start and look at our goal. Mm-hmm. You know, where do we want to end up? We want to end up south of 5.5 milligrams per deciliter. That's above 5.5. Then we start being associated. We start seeing the relationships to these significant metabolic problems that are characteristic of elevated uric acid, even a polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is a profound endocrine and metabolic issue affecting from 4 to 18% of American women in reproductive years. The number one cause of infertility. Mm-hmm. You know, it's rampant. And now that we see the relationship to uric acid and understand one thing, I'm going to be a little technical here, but I know that uh, people, like people are following you can, yeah. can uh, go for it. Yeah. One of the things that we see happening in women with PCOS is that they're down-regulating uh, what is called AMP kinase or AMPK. Yeah. And because of that, their blood sugars are elevated. Uh, they're making more uh, body fat. They're not using body fat as much for energy because AMPK has been turned off. And their uric acid levels are elevated. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? That's what uric acid uses to increase body fat, to increase the blood sugar, to increase gluconeogenesis, making blood sugar. It targets AMPK and turns it off. Yeah. And at the same time, it turns on the other pathway for the metabolism of AMP called AMP deaminase. Maybe many of your viewers haven't heard of that side of the, of the switch. Mm-hmm. So we metabolize AMP by going down AMPK, which is what we want, or AMPD, which is what we don't want. AMPK, great. We're burning fat. We're not making glucose. Uh, We activate AMPK by exercising. It's how the drug metformin helps control blood sugar in diabetics. And interestingly, 
quercetin targets AMPK. It's why it's on the top of the list because it's an anti-inflammatory. It's an antioxidant, but it targets AMP kinase. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a senolytic and it helps us with respect to our uric acid production. So I'm all in as it relates to quercetin. Love it. But we don't want to activate AMP deaminase because that's telling our bodies that either we're getting ready for hibernation, a bear uh, that's eating all those berries, getting ready to go into hibernation, needs to make a lot of body fat, and they don't have AMPK uh, active, they have AMP deaminase. Make fat, store fat, lock it up. Got it. And so that's not who we are, unless you are indeed planning to go into a cave and hibernating for the next few months. If you're indeed a bear listening to this podcast, <laughs> then you're fine. Another one that you talk about, that's actually the cover of the book as well, is tart cherries. So what's the science behind tart cherries? What, what do we need to be looking out for that? Well, tart cherries are on the plus, are, are good. Yeah. Uh, and that tart cherries have been uh, used, tart cherry, uh, tart cherry juice uh, for again, decades with studies uh, indicate, uh, indicating that there are various, you know, not to be, not to deconstruct it, but there are various components, likely bioflavonoids and vitamin C that help lower uric acid. So tart cherries have been recommended for gout tree, uh, patients for uh, decades. And why? Because they work especially in women. And as you well point out, that's, that's the O. See the O and drop acid? Yeah. Uh, tart cherry. Now everybody knows the little secret. They would not have known that had we not uh, brought that up. <laughs> and then another food that you, or a drink that you talk about in the book is coffee. What's, where, where does the uh, verdict stand on, on coffee? Coffee is associated with lowering of uric acid. And you made some friends, you know, is right it self-serving now? that I would say that you bet. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but that's, you know, there are flavonoids in coffee that uh, probably are the reason that it does. But, you know, at the same time, you might think that coffee could raise uric acid, but it actually, it does not. But there are some things that we can consume uh, aside from the precursors of uric acid that also are associated with increasing it, uh, including various medications like aspirin, theophylline, mm. uh, testosterone, and some really common things like beta blocking uh, drugs, uh, the diuretic drugs that are used to treat high blood pressure. Now think about what I just said, that raising uric acid raises the blood pressure. Diuretic drugs and beta blockers are used to treat high blood pressure, but yet they, tar- they increase uric acid. So in a way, you're, taking, you're really chasing your tail uh, yeah. when you understand it like that. Right. I think a couple of the other uh, big players would be these proton pump inhibiting drugs like omeprazole that are uh, over-the-counter, I mean, taken by some 15 million Americans. And this is a drug that is strongly associated with risk for stroke and Alzheimer's as published in the journal Stroke. And now that we see the relationship in terms of raising uric acid and, of course, disturbing the gut bacteria as well Mm -hmm. uh, and leading to inflammation, we can begin to understand that Maybe it's not the best thing in the world to reduce your stomach acid because you don't tolerate eating undercooked sausages or something like that. Yeah. So you touched upon it, uh, the the connection between uric acid levels and fatty liver disease, non, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. What's the mechanism between the two? I see this oftentimes on labs where you're seeing the high uric acid, you see the high AAC, AAC and ALT, the liver markers, and they have a history of these problems. So what's the the mechanism connection there? Well, again, let me preface that by saying it's a very serious problem 
and uh, it's increasing by leaps and bounds. The average uric acid level in America in the 1920s was 3.5, and now it's 6. And that has paralleled our consumption of, increasing consumption of fructose, increasing a thousand percent going from 1970 to 1990. So the actual mechanism deals with the fact that uh, fructose enhances as it's metabolized lipogenesis within the liver. And uh, this is accentuated by the way that uric acid then turns on the metabolism of fructose. So the first enzyme involved in, in, in fructose metabolism is fructokinase. So as fructose is metabolized in the liver, this fructokinase is step one. And you would expect then that there'd be a downstream uh, mechanism whereby then we would shut off that metabolism. Now that we're metabolizing at a very fast rate, okay, let's back off a little bit because of things that are happening. That's not what happens here. Mm -hmm. It actually increases its metabolism. So it creates a feed forward process, enhancing this lipogenesis, the production of fat within the liver cell. And what is so incredibly uh, interesting is that if you take laboratory animals and you expose them to high levels of alcohol, they will immediately get alcohol-related fatty liver disease. Mm -hmm. So we have this non-alcohol fatty liver disease, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease uh, that we see from fructose consumption. And we have alcohol-related fatty liver disease, which we've known about for an awful long time. Mm -hmm. The precursor to the cirrhosis that alcoholics might experience. But if you take a laboratory animal and you block fructose, remember that alcohol is metabolized in the same way as fructose and actually increases the production of fructose in the body. If you block fructose metabolism by blocking that first enzyme called fructokinase in the laboratory animal and you load that animal up with alcohol, they do not develop alcohol-related fatty liver disease. So what it's telling us is really quite interesting, and that is that the development of the fatty liver disease is fructose-dependent, whether it's from the fructose itself Mm. or even from the alcohol. Wow. So if we can downregulate that enzyme, we will have a powerful tool to help prevent fatty liver disease in people consuming alcohol and or people who are consuming high levels of fructose. Now, Uric acid, the downstream manifestation of both alcohol and fructose metabolism, turns that enzyme on even further, making the situation even worse. Mm. So uh, it's really interesting where this science is going to take us. Yeah, it is fascinating. And and it's one of those things that's never been talked about in this deep way, and it's so common. I mean, this book is going to change people's lives. You know, as, as you mentioned that, Will, I think that, uh, yeah, it's going to change consumers' lives big time. Yeah. But for people like yourself and, and those who are involved in functional medicine, integrative medicine, or, or, i.e. a little more open-minded to new ideas, wow, this is going to be something that, uh, you know, in the practice, in the clinic, is really, really going to be helpful. Yeah. For these people, you know, these metabolic, you know, 88% of American adults has at least one component of metabolic syndrome. And that means that only one in eight American adults is metabolically intact. That means if you have, if you're seeing eight patients today 
uh, that seven of them are metabolically compromised. And so this is going to be very pervasive in terms of, or it's going to throw a very wide net in terms of who it's going to help. Absolutely. For sure. All right, my friend, we didn't do this last time you were on the podcast. So this is a brand new thing. People are going to learn so okay, much more. Okay, the lightning about round. This is a lightning round. Exactly. Because you know, the podcast is called The Art of Being Well. And this is going to be Dr. David Perlmutter's Art of Being Well. I'm just going to okay. throw different questions at you. First question, right. you're stuck on an island, my friend, and you are looking for nutrient density and survival. What's the one food if you only had one food only? I'd go with fresh water. <laughs> I love we it. We're expecting that one, were no, you? did not. Okay, so fresh water, and you had one food to go with that fresh water. What would that food uh -huh. be? <laughs> Gee, tough call. Uh, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I might want to go with a fatty fish. Okay. Although I wouldn't get any fiber from that, and that would be a problem. Uh, I'd probably end up eating uh, seaweed for fiber. But I might want to go with a fatty fish so that I could preserve my brain function, uh, eat enough protein that I could turn on gluconeogenesis uh, so I could make sugar. And I would have, obviously, the, the fat and the DHA to be good for my brain, so I'd be clever enough to figure out a way off that island. I love it. What's your favorite fatty fish? What's your go-to? Salmon. Yeah, salmon. I fish for salmon for four to five months a year in right. in British Columbia or Alaska. So I've bonded with uh, with salmon. All right. So uh, there's, it's a very special fish for me. Yeah, it's great for, to eat. It's good for you, of course. Uh, but you know, even as it relates to purines, you can't be eating you know so much salmon day in and day out. I eat you know salmon once or twice a week, and my my uric acid's four point seven, so I'm I'm doing okay in that regard. I do like mahi because uh, that's the fish for you know that we catch down in Florida. Uh, but again, I'm I, my my liking or not liking fish uh, certain fishes has to do with not just their nutritional uh, evaluation, but the whole picture. Got it. All right. So the completely other side of the spectrum. If you had one food only, purely on deliciousness and taste, removing the health benefits aside, what's that food for you? Hands down, popcorn. Popcorn. <laughs> lots and lots popcorn. with tons of salt and melted butter. <laughs> I, I mean, I that is uh, that. There was no hesitation in that answer. I love it. Okay. Movie theater, food, the best. You bet. Yeah. All right. What are two supplements for you personally that have been the biggest game changers for you over, over your life? I could say the two most, most important supplements for me have been DHA and quercetin, but I'm not going to say they've been game changers. I don't, you know, I, I take supplements as do probably most people yeah. based upon what we know about them, what we understand about them. I mean, I think probiotics are a home run as well. Do I feel any different because I take probiotics or quercetin or sulforaphane precursors or DHA or nicotinamide riboside? You know, there are so many that zinc that I, that I take. I can't say I feel any different when I take them or I don't take them. So, uh, uh, but I take, you know, what are my go-to uh, ones based upon my understanding? If I had to choose two, it'd be DHA and quercetin. Got it. And you're taking them, like you said, you're the science behind it and you know. You bet. Yeah. You bet. Got it. All right. Next question. What is a wellness myth that you would like to dispel? Oh, I, I would think that people have a sense they can exercise away a crappy diet. Mm. And uh, if, you know, job one is the food that you eat. Uh, you know, people think, oh, I'm going to lose weight because I, I spend 45 minutes every day on the elliptical or whatever it is. And then they think they've earned those calories wherever they came from, those calories. 
uh, whether it's a drink or whatever, and that's just not the case. So I would say that you cannot exercise away a bad diet, that look at your diet first, and then if you want to layer on the exercise, and you should, fine. Mm -hmm. But we don't want to keep look at those in terms of balancing, you know, the calories you're burning on the treadmill versus the calories you took in. Uh, that is primitive, uh, simplistic, that's a bit redundant, and not going to serve you well. Got it. What's the latest non-food, non-supplement, uh, biohack or wellness tool that you're really into? Well, I don't know. Uh, you know, checking uric acid is a powerful yeah. wellness tool. So that's certainly the latest. Uh, in addition to my use of a continuous glucose monitor, wearing an aura ring so I could see the quality of my sleep, measuring my exercise performance using an Apple watch, you know, all of these things I think are really very, very important. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, those are non-food uh, interventions that are informing me as to how well I'm doing on the program. And mm -hmm. I'm so grateful to have that feedback because yeah. I can make changes. And, you know, it's, it's constantly uh, a change, uh, being changed. Yeah. The program for me constantly changes as I learn new things and I experiment with one thing or another. Uh, knowing how well I sleep, I think, has been very important. I generally sleep pretty well. But knowing that uh, my wife and I take uh, a short walk in the evening has been profoundly helpful in not just how long I sleep, but the quality of my sleep, increasing my deep sleep, for example, mm -hmm. which never was where I wanted it. Now it is. To have that information, that feedback that allows you to make these choices to have a better outcome, uh, I'm really excited about that. Love that. What is your favorite way to exercise? I run most days. Uh, on the days I don't run, I do an elliptical machine for the uh, aerobic part of my training. I do squats for legs. Uh, I do tension bands actually for uh, biceps, triceps, push-ups, push-ups for pecs. And I do about 50 uh, sit-ups on an incline board uh, each day or about 100 to 150 crunches with a, a ball, inflated ball. Got it. What's the, I'm really curious about your answer here. What's the weirdest wellness thing you've done that you're willing to admit on a podcast? Oh my gosh. Um, colonics were kind of <laughs> out there at an Ayurvedic center. That was interesting. Um, I don't think I've, I've really gone over the edge in terms of yeah. something weird as a biohack. I mean, Dave Ashbury put me in the cryo chamber once. <laughs> that was a kick down to minus 143, I think, Fahrenheit. Wow. Uh, that was an interesting experience. How long did you last um, in the, at that degree? Uh, long enough. <laughs> Whatever. I think it was two minutes and it was plenty. Yeah, right. Um, those are good answers. Colonic and cryotherapy. That, yeah, be right. not at the same time, that's for sure. <laughs> that's the next thing. That's the next trend. Uh, <laughs> Goodness. All right. Uh, next question. What's your favorite restaurant in the world? And what do you, what do you order there? That's, uh, I, I don't, uh, I go to a, a lot of nice restaurants that have the kind of food that, uh, that I like. Uh, and and uh, truth be known, we've not been restauranting for yeah. quite some time as of late. Uh, but having said that, there's a, a restaurant in Naples, uh, Sea Salt, and I know the owners, and they have wonderful fish. And the, just the whole experience is really great because I know everything there is really clean, very high quality. And there's another restaurant called Sales that uh, really has just over-the-top fantastic food here in my hometown, which is Naples. Got it. All right, last question, my friend. Uh, obviously, everybody will get drop acid, but for you personally, what is a book that you've read in the last year that really was transformative or got you thinking in a, in a new way? Oh my goodness. That's, uh, 
uh, going to be hard to say. I'm reading right now Jim Quick's uh, book, and Limitless. Wow, that's a terrific book. And uh, what I like about it is it it's calling me out for limitations that I placed on myself from my earlier years. Uh, I'm finding that very helpful. Dr. Richard Johnson uh, has written a book called Nature Wants Us to Be Fat. It's right there. I think it's an, it's an amazing book. Uh, it deals with metabolism, fructose, uric acid. Uh, I, I got the opportunity to write the foreword to that book. And I've read that book three times. But in, in my position as a podcaster, gosh, I probably get at least three books a week. Mm-hmm. And I do my best to read each and every one of them. So it's such a great position to be in to get so much wonderful yeah. information. There are a lot of great books out there these days. And you know, I think that uh, the longevity books are, are terrific. Kara uh, Fitzgerald's new book, Younger You, I think is really quite amazing, talking about her work in using methylation clock to determine biological age. And then you know, looking at the effects of a lifestyle intervention program in terms of how it plays out with reference to the the Horvath clock or the methylation clock. A very excellent book. Hmm. Great stuff. I'll put all the links to all uh, of those. Uh, one more book, but it didn't come out last year. You limited me to the last year. Uh, and the, it's called Ketotarian. <laughs> maybe maybe you heard of this book. It's one of my favorite books and I recommend it an awful Thanks, lot. Brother. And this is a book uh, that allows people to really embrace the notion of getting into a, a state of ketosis, but not have to go hog heavy on, on meat. I mean, there's this misguided, as you pointed out, writing this book, sense that if you're going to be keto, you need bacon and meat all day long mm-hmm. and never eat anything plant-based. And that wouldn't, in my opinion, be a good diet. Yeah. Uh, so I, I interviewed you about that book, and I'm glad that you wrote that book because That's I refer to it often uh, when I'm asked that question, well, gee, I'm eating a lot of meat now because I want to be keto. No, that's not necessarily a requirement. Yeah. Well, thank you, my friend. And your you bet. your your kind words uh, blurb were on the front of that book, uh, the cover, and I'm so proud of that. I just appreciate you immensely. Happy to do it. And I told you when you asked me, I was happy to do it. Yes, and you were. I, I maintain that. Thank you, sir. All right, my friend, where do people go? Where do people go to get drop acid? And and I where do people get to drop yeah, acid? Where do they drop acid? And by the way, <laughs> I, before we go, uh, you mentioned you put recipes in the book. You have what's called the love or the LUV diet in there, low uric uh, volumes or, or levels values values. Sorry. Uh, so there's so much good stuff in the book. But where where can they go to get it? So the book is called Drop Acid, and the place to go is dropacidbook.com. That's an easy spot, or just go to my uh, website, drperlmutter.com, then that's sort of a clearinghouse for the things that I do. Love it. And the podcast, where, where do people listen to the podcast? Again, website can get you started. YouTube is a good place. My channel there, it's called The Empowering Neurologist. Uh, and that uh, you can look for that link on Google or just go to YouTube and find all these really very, very inspirational and informative uh, people that I've had the opportunity, like like yourself over the years, to interact yeah. with. And it, it's such a great platform. You have to admit, you get to talk to some yeah. really cool people. It is really cool. So I've, I really look forward to that. It's yeah. uh, a great moment. Love it. My friend, always great catching up with you. Next time in person, let's make it a thing. All right. We'll make it happen. At the end of every episode, I'll be answering a question from one of you guys. Nothing is off limits. Ask me anything. And you can send your questions over to me on Instagram or Facebook. 
As a functional medicine practitioner, it's been fun seeing the questions that have already come in on different food philosophies, wellness trends, and ways to approach overall mental, emotional, and physical health and well-being. Thanks for those. And I'm looking forward to seeing what else is on your mind. Now it's time for another Ask Me Anything. Today's question is from Jen. Jen asks, hi, Dr. Cole. You ask guests what two supplements are their favorites. I'd love to know which two are your favorites. Great question, Jen. It's hard to pick. And obviously, caveat here is that food is always first. I mean, food is primary. You cannot supplement your way out of a poor diet. So I am not an advocate for people to just bring in these supplements or any supplements without first looking at nutrient density with food and optimizing that specific to their health case, specific to their goals, specific to them. But with that said, two supplements that have helped me out the most personally would have to be vitamin D and some methylated B vitamins. So most people, no matter what their genetic variants are, no matter who they are epigenetically, no matter what they're going through in their health, just as a human living in modern life, those are two supplements that can help out most people too. So not not just me personally, but looking at labs 10, 11 hours a day, I see vitamin D deficiency in most people. And it's regulating thousands of different pathways. It's needed to regulate inflammation levels. The brain is rich with vitamin D receptor sites. So it's great for cognitive function and brain health. It almost, it acts like a hormone. It almost like, think of it as a pro-hormone, vitamin D3. So blending vitamin D3 with vitamin K2, which is another fat-soluble vitamin that you need to regulate inflammation, support a healthy immune system and energy production, uh, that's a game changer for me uh, as well. Getting my labs looking great with the vitamin D3 and K2 uh, definitely is paramount for me personally and so many of my patients. And then a methylated B vitamin would be another one. I have a double MTHFR gene variant which is a gene that makes an enzyme that really is important part of methylation, which you need for detoxification pathways, lowering inflammation levels like homocysteine, the one inflammatory marker, and many, many other different functions within the body. You need it for a myriad of different things. So um, one way that I support my MTHFR gene variant, which means my body doesn't methylate in this one way as optimally, I have a, add I add in a methylfolate and a methylcobalamin or or a B12. So I would say those are my two my top two: vitamin D3 with a K2, which is just a blend, and then a B complex, a methylated B complex. And honestly, like this is why we have the collection at drworldcool.com because I do get asked that question a lot. Like, what are the core fundamental things that you recommend? So if you want to learn about the formulas that I take, just go to drworldcool.com and you can learn about the collection there. Thanks again for listening to The Art of Being Well. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit follow and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to drwillcole.com slash podcast. I'll be back again next Thursday and I hope you will too. Talk soon.